Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Psst. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, And on this episode, juvenile detainees in the Golden State are given an opportunity for service, fighting wildfires in California. We'll discuss the HBO Max documentary, Fireboys. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us- The dogs didn't bark that time. That's good. They didn't. Thank you. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Meow, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin, um, this episode is dropping on Thursday, which means we have another podcast coming out this coming Monday. Yeah. What will we be talking about on that program? We're going to be talking about the Hulu adaptation of The Dropout. Can't wait. And... Toby's not going to be here for that. Toby <gasps> is going to be in London. He's going to be sleeping off his uh, hangover from the Crime Writers on Meetup yes. somewhere in London. Do we have a substitute panelists? Yes, we have our friend Ronald Young Jr. Yes, we do. From the podcast, This is Solvable. Yep, plus he's been on Pop Culture Happy Hour. Happy Hour, he's been on These Are the Stories. He's a great guy. He's, uh, he also has a podcast called Leaving the Theater. And he's got a brand new show for HBO coming out. A doc- oh, that's right. Yeah, a podcast yeah. about their documentaries that was just announced. Yeah, he's a big deal. Ronald so, Jr. Toby, you remember when Drew Bledsoe left the Patriots for that yeah. week, and Tom Brady yeah. came in, exactly. and everybody thought Drew Bledsoe would be back. Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> so are you gonna like? Are you gonna trade me to some other uh, podcast? That'd be good. Yeah, yeah, we could do Interesting. that. Interesting. Where can we trade you? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Ronald is amazing. He's wonderful. And Toby, you're just going to be sad and upset that you weren't on the show with him because he's hilarious and great. And I can't wait to podcast with him. All right. He'll have to be on the deep dive. So 
We can compare notes. Yes. <laughs> Someday maybe I won't be here and you could have somebody on for me. He'd be great as that. Be oh, great. no. I've got a whole stable of people to get Ooh. rid of you. Really? Oh, yes. Oh, my. I just, I'm just looking around at the other three of you and you all can be replaced. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never going away. I'm never taking a week off now. All right. Who would you be replaced with? Nobody. Yeah? The show would be over. Huh. But I do want to let people know another programming note is that we are coming out on Monday. We will not have a Thursday episode next week. We'll be back the following Monday, but again, no Thursday episode. So we'll be out the next two Mondays, but you won't hear us on a Thursday. All right. So I would like to get to our review this episode because it's kind of a meaty one. So I think we should just get right to it. What do you think, Kevin? Do it. All right. Let's drop that first clip. I don't only want to do good for me. I also like my mom's my encouragement. And like, if I could get time knocked off and while doing something that I like, that will be like pretty cool. Alex is a juvenile inmate selected for a unique prison work program. He's among 80 young detainees trained to supplement the professional crews and battle California wildfires. It's helped me become a better worker. It's helped me become a better person. It's taught me a lot of discipline. It's been a long journey. Meanwhile, crew leader Chewy is about to be released, separating him from the vocation he's mastered and loves. Will he be able to start a career in the fire service or will his violent criminal record bar him from employment? How many people can say, you know, my house was saved by somebody that's incarcerated? Brave, I'm, I'm just human. Nothing to be brave about as long as you just do it. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like my life has a purpose, you know what I mean? Even if it is just helping a few people. The documentary Fire Boys on HBO Max is a coming-of-age tale of incarcerated youth given a chance to help their community and build their self-esteem. But will the lessons learned on the fire line give them hope for the future or set them up for more disappointment? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Fire Boys. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So there was an opening Chiron to this show that, excuse my language, fucking shocked me, which was that every year as California burns, the state of uh, California hires like 8,500 firefighters to help them fight the wildfires. Half of the people that are in those firefighting camps are incarcerated, incarcerated people. Mm -hmm. And that shocked me because those incarcerated people earn far less money and they are not regulated in the same way in terms of work and stuff that regular firefighters. I did a bunch of reading about this after we watched that. And that this camp for kids, Camp Pine Grove, is the one camp for uh, juvenile incarcerated people. So there is this program for incarcerated kids this is incredibly dangerous work. And I'm like, this is like a firefighting chain gang, essentially, right? This is like the most dangerous work you could possibly do if you are not incarcerated. And this is like your chosen profession and you love doing it. It is still the most dangerous work you can do. Laura, that was my, my first thoughts when I walked into this. I'm like, this is nuts. Yeah, no, this is nuts. I mean, although I will say as somebody that's had a lot of front hand access to the firefighting world, this isn't unusual. I mean, this is this is what you sign up for when you sign up to be a firefighter. But what I think was nuts here is just that, like, they're taking people that are basically incarcerated. And I love California and all, but like, what the hell? Like, I, I mean, it's terrifying. Like, I definitely would not want to be fighting fires out there. You know, we followed our friend Wyrick, who's out there like 
volunteering to fight fires, who has like a military background, so it makes more sense to me that he's volunteering than these juvenile offenders who are being like, hey, go out and be a firefighter and you might be able to find a career or get out of jail. And then they're like, huh, just kidding. Surprise. You're not going to get a career. So I used the word disingenuous in the last review that we did on our podcast on Monday. And and I feel like disingenuous applies here as well because they're taking young men. And I will say, as somebody that has observed firsthand guys and women and, you know, young people that go into the fire service that have had perhaps a bumpy start or perhaps were kids that needed some focus, that it does give them some focus. But in this case... They get in there, and what they're not actually being told is, surprise, when you get out of here, you might not actually be eligible to be a firefighter now that we've, like, hooked you on this career. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of pissed me off. Yeah. I mean, there's more to it. I read an article in Teen Vogue about these very kids, uh, Alex, Chewy, these kids are in this program. Alex, who was incarcerated at Pine Grove from 2019 to 2020, he once worked 24 hours on, 24 hours off for 56 days straight as a teenager. Wow. Um, and Cal Fire states that hand crews, non-incarcerated people, require a 48-hour reset period every 20 days while <gasps> out on deployment. So it's a different work situation. You, you see what I'm talking about? The conflict here, that this thing is both presented as like this heartwarming thing, but it also like, it is this whole other thing too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem with the documentary is... I mean, I think the best thing you can you can say about it is that maybe it doesn't try and put its finger on the scale or whatever, and is showing these kids, you know, Alex and Chewie's experience, and Chewie's experience while he's in the camp seems to be pretty positive for him personally, and Alex, you know, is striving to become a fire boy or whatever, and and so you're rooting for him to do that, but the reality of the situation. I didn't know anything about Alex working this 24 on, 24 off, 56 straight days. But during that time, he's getting $24 in his pocket, right? Yeah. Because he's getting $2 well, a day. It's all going to restitution. And half yes. of it's going to restitution. So yeah. he's doing this incredibly dangerous job. He's a juvenile. Uh, he's getting paid a dollar an hour. He's getting two to four dollars an, an hour, hour plus a dollar bonus for fighting fires. Right, just, just to be clear. Okay, yes. so then maybe, maybe, do- maybe it's up to a five dollars fifty. Then, but he doesn't get to keep any of that money until he pays off his restitution. Right, half it's going to restitution. So in his pocket right. is going like somewhere between a buck fifty and two fifty an hour. Yep. for doing this incredibly dangerous work, and it's all in service of this environmental problem they have with the state. So this is basically the state's way of taking care of this problem without digging deep into their budget is we can pay these people almost nothing. And my question is, how is that significantly different than what was going on outside Parchman Prison or Angola, where they had these huge plantations going on, which was essentially the same thing, which was you know doing work for the state for which the state doesn't have to pay money. Right. Except this is just like very, very dangerous. And in this case, it's kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is an issue with prison labor and how prisoners are compensated. But that's not really the focus of this documentary, right? That is part of the issue here. And they do bring it up because one would start to question that. I mean, the difference is that this particular job is not compulsory, right? They are making more than 40 cents an hour as the guys would in the laundry or something. This is not, you know, 
financially feasible. There is, a, you know, an argument to be made about well, what should people get paid for prison labor? Is there a difference between doing this for the state versus, you know, making furniture at a for-profit prison and that company benefits and profits off of that? It's not an expose. Yes, there is a this difference. is not an expose. There this is, is a, a feature this is public on public work. There is what? a difference. It's public work. Yeah, there is. There is. But like I said, I don't think that's what this documentary is trying to tackle. I think they're trying to highlight this particular camp and open our eyes to it. Prisoners get paid what prisoners get paid. For the time being, it is what it is. The shitty part is that they, you know, learn something. They learn a vocation, but a lot of them aren't going to be able to do anything with it afterwards because they're going to be barred from that. Now, it's great they can work for the Wildlife Service, but Cal Fire will only take you if you have a nonviolent conviction. Like, you know, in a prison, you can get become part of the carpentry program, and that's a privilege to get into that program. That's It's not an entitlement. If you get into it, there's a possibility when you leave, you can become a carpenter. That's mm-hmm. great. That goes towards rehabilitation and recidivism. This, unfortunately, they want somebody to drag a rake in front of a fire. You're not going to be able to do that probably when you leave. Yeah. You know, I think the question that I have is, like, what are the ethics about making a story of like, you know, personal growth or vindication or whatever within a system that is exploitive of incarcerated kids in which you are shown adults constantly lying to them yep. or promising them something that is not available to them. And it's shown pretty uncritically until the very, very end. Who's lying? I, I guess I didn't hear the lies. Well, they're constantly being said, you know, who wants to be a firefighter when you get yeah. out? This is a skill that we that you'll be able to do when you get out. This is a, they, they, they say do say that over and over and over and then to them. This is a privilege to be in this program because you're going to get skills that you can use when you get out. They bring in that guy who comes in and he's like, as soon as you get out here, man, you're going to be able to earn money. They do tell them that over and over and over again, that this is going to be their pathway to success when they get out. If any of you guys are looking to get a career or like establish yourselves when you get out of here, the work that you guys are doing inside of here could really factor to when you get out. And it's so simple to get a job working on an actual hand crew. And they don't care about none of us being on parole. A few kids might do it, but for the majority of those kids, nobody's saying, well, if you did a violent crime, this isn't gonna work for you. Maybe they did and they edited it out, but that's not put across. So to me, when it was over, I was like, wow, that's... So this guy, Chewy's like his great story about him being a sort of a natural leader and all this personal growth and taking responsibility and you're rooting for him. And he seems like a person that genuinely people would want to hire, but his reality is not that is that he's working landscaping, I guess. I mean, it's a little bit hard to tell. So this guy, Alex now is there and I assume he's going to be in a similar place. Cause I think he said that he was, he was caught for carjacking. Yep. So he's going through all this stuff and he's going to get out and he's going to be in the same position. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. 
On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Hey, can we continue some hot, hot talk? Like, with, but talk about the business section instead? Oh, sure. Absolutely, Kevin. What a great segue. <laughs> hey, I'm On trying. Point. Unlike you. Sizzles. <laughs> Here's what's sizzling on our Patreon right now. What's that, Kevin? Laura Bricker <laughs> goes undercover. Ooh, yeah. At a massage parlor. Wait a minute. Before I, yeah. I give it away, and she doesn't go undercover. She's doing a sting, right? Do it. Laura, yeah. explain what the hell's going on and leave it to Bricker. Well, I'm just going to say that there have been, I mean, Exeter is quaint AF. But recently, we've had some reports of some potential sexual things occurring in town. And I may or may not have a surveillance van that I have dispatched to the scene. So you're going to have to listen and find out. It's too bad this is only audio and not video. Yeah. The Laura Bricker surveillance van. It's the pink one with the cat ears (laughs) up top, (laughs) right across the street from the Sting location. She needs an immersive app like they have an accused. An immersive app. Want to know what it's like to be in a sting with Laura Bricker? Sign up for the app. It's like yeah. it's like being John Malkovich. He said it's like being Laura Bricker. <laughs> exactly. Open I a think... little door, go inside her head. You know, <laughs> good oh good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> in the app, their avatar is getting. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! What? Oh boy! Wow! <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, you're talking about the sting. <laughs> the sting. Not oh. Rebecca's head. Oh, oh my god. god! I thought you were talking about something else. Oh my god, Kevin! Oh, god. What else have we got going on our Patreon? Wow. Well, nothing that sexy. You, you can listen to <laughs> our uh, latest crime writers on After Show Plus, Married with Podcast, in which you and I dispense advice. The last time we did it, we did a live podcast. Crowdcast for did. So we had folks come on in video and they got to also give their own answers to questions that other listeners submitted. Correct. They did. And it was really, really fun. All right, Kevin. So before we get back to the show, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Sarah Range and Natalie Topeka. Bless you. Topeka like Kansas Topeka? Yeah, she doesn't own the whole place, I think, her. but, you know. Wow. Well, bless you, and, and and be good for you being named after the capital of Kansas. Good for you. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> All right, Rebecca's showing off for her geography knowledge. Remember that one, that one New Year's where that was my resolution? To learn all capitals. 50 state capitals. <laughs> so I had to quiz you. And thus ends yeah. the business section. Fortune. Mercifully. So, Laura, this idea of the false hope that these kids are getting, I mean, that is balanced with some, like, 
quote-unquote sense of achievement that we see them gain. At the beginning of the documentary, Alex is sort of portrayed, and he's the one that I found myself, you know, if we're going to find someone to root for, like, he's it, right? Because at the beginning, he's part of this initial group of volunteers. He seems like kind of the most reluctant in terms of, like, the physical fitness stuff. He's, like, always the one sitting off on the side being like, my foot hurts, like, I don't really want to do this yeah. today. And then they have to do that four-mile hike, and he, like, finishes with, like, what, like, 12 seconds uh, over the... So he's the one you're really, like, rooting for, um, and then he's the one who seems to have the most growth through the documentary but you also sent me a note about this sort of like deceptive kind of situation what do you think about that balance as you were watching it I think it was I I was feeling very frustrated with it because I feel like they give these guys this buy-in to this program in terms of you have to apply to it and you have to get into it and there's like incentives if you're you know you're in YDC and you're like hey I can go there. I can get like pulled pork for lunch instead of bologna sandwich or whatever. Like you don't have to be like shackled and you get to have more freedom and you also get to learn something that could be a career. Like it seems like a step up, but then it really pissed me off because number one, they need manpower. So they're getting these young men. I don't want to discriminate, but I didn't see any young women. They're getting young men out there because they need manpower. And it's pretty clear, like they know up front when these guys get accepted to this program, who would actually be eligible to be a firefighter and who actually wouldn't be eligible. It's it's not like a big secret. Right. Just look at what you got charged with. Look at your record. Okay, you're eligible. You're not. So why are you blowing sunshine at them and getting them into this program and getting them all pumped up? Because I will say there is something to be said for this type of program. Like it reminds me of like the old days when they're like, oh, well, it was either the jail or military and they send someone off to the military and they turn their life around. But in, in this regard, I, I don't want to compare like going into the fire service, like going into the military, but there is this sort of like brotherhood and this camaraderie. And like, I have seen people go in who, you know, you're like, oh, this person really needs to get their shit together. And this can be something that can really turn people's lives around. But I felt like, that was a really shitty bait and switch to like get people to like apply to this program, to go into this program, to be like, yeah, sorry. But I don't think anyone actually- ever build this as a work path for you to get into the fire service. I know that guy came and said that, well, but when we see them signing up for this, the benefit that they're offered is that if you do this, you're going to get some time knocked off of your sentence. You're going to be able to make a little extra money. And you're going to be in a place where there's no fences and, you know, the conditions are a little better. I I didn't see like a military recruiter coming out and saying, you're going to be a fireman. You're going to be a fireman today. I didn't hear a bunch of people saying this is a direct so that you're going to go and you're going to be in a fire truck the rest of your life after this. There was a guy there recruiting. uh, But that. Well, what, Laura? No, but I think I think they pumped it up. I think they pumped it up. While they're training them, I think they sort of like show, I mean, they it's appealing, like good job, you're part of the team, all that sort of stuff. So that people that maybe, like you said, they weren't pitched that going in, but then they get there and they're like, hey, this is good. This is something I want to do. And they're like, just kidding. Okay. So you're, you're suspect of the program. How do you feel about yes. the documentary then? Well, I liked the documentary. Okay, all right, fine. I, no, I liked the documentary. I just didn't like the the program. If, made if me- you want it to be an expose, it's that's not what it is. Right. That's not what it is. And if you're going to be disappointed by that, then I guess you'll be thumbs down. But it's about something else. Back to the program, though. Yeah. 
I think that they do something really shitty to one of the kids in the program by making an example of him. So there's one kid in this program who is impatient, right? And has um, a little bit of an eye-rolly situation in a, in a few scenarios where he's doing things, he thinks he's doing them well, he's getting corrected, right? And actually, we don't even see him getting corrected. We just see like continual frustrated pushback again. And granted, we know this is edited. We don't see everything. Without redirection, without nurturing or support, he is summarily plucked out of the program and extricated, never to return. And that is sort of used as put the fear of God on everybody else, stay in line. He's being disruptive. What do you want to do? Well, I'm going to have to run it through the boss, but... Because if that's the case, he needs to just be rolled out. He needs to go back to the institution. Yeah, I mean, that was uncalled for. I found that to be incredibly disturbing, especially, again, when this is a program where you're asking kids to do a difficult and dangerous job that's supposed to also be rehabilitative in some way, but also sort of belies this whole thing of, like, personal growth of any kind, because... We actually did see this kid was actually good at all of these skills. And this wasn't actually, in fact, the actual military. Like, these kids are incarcerated. Was I the only one who found that disturbing? Because Kevin and I had a little bit of a debate about that because he is like, we have to, you know. It's training for a dangerous thing. You have to. I understand. We had I found that to be upsetting and disturbing that you cannot watch something like this and also not see All of the people in charge are white. All of the kids there are people of color. You cannot not see that. And so to sort of see that that dynamic playing out here, too, that particular scene really, really bothered me. Am I the only one? I I mean, I, I kind of agree with both of you when you're on a fire team, like the way these guys are working. Like if there's somebody who's not with the program, I could see where that would be very dangerous and you don't want to have it. You know, they make a decision to use him to illustrate this particular point. And it's strange. And he, you start off by hearing him say, I've already passed this. You know, when you first meet him, he's talking about how he's already gone through it and he's already passed it, but he's being made to do it again because somebody, because of something. Because she was absent. Because the lady who, who was going to, that like, lady wasn't there. Right. But you don't know what the truth is behind it. That whole arc is strange. And, you know, the one thing that I think it demonstrated was how disturbed the other kids are by it when he's gone. Like, it's disturbing to watch him get carried away because he's like, has no idea what's going on and you kind of do. But then the way the other kids are just like, you know, they're shocked. Well, it's a reminder after all these days they've had of where they're treated with what feels like a lot of respect after being in this place with a lot of control. So that they show up at this place, they're given like real clothes, they're eating real food, they're not surrounded by a fence. The, all them and granted there are cameras there so we don't know the difference between how they're treated when the cameras aren't there yeah, but it true. seems like for the viewer for us you know the guys are calling them gentlemen sir like they're being treated with some modicum of respect that they weren't being treated with where they were before right so to have this stark scene where it's like he's just gone it is shocking you can see it's like oh we still are being controlled you know what i mean it's yeah. like oh this is an illusion we still actually are incarcerated. I I wonder how many kids that happens to, because it does seem like a cynical person would say that's like another means of control is a certain number of kids just get taken away. 
yeah. and that keeps everybody else in line. I, that that may not be the case, but it would be in a dystopian novel, that's for sure. By the way, that happens. It in was the called Senate. Holes. Remember it happens that in the yeah. Senate Page Program as well. Oh, we got kicked out. <laughs> yes. Just... When my son was at the Senate Page Program, there was a kid who was disappeared. Oh, really? <laughs> M- M- Mitch McConnell <laughs> wants to talk to you for a minute. Come with me. It was the Sergeant at Arms. Oh. <laughs> One day he was there, and the next day he was gone. What do you think it's worse to just say, Mr. So and So was gone? Uh, or as far as yes. like, Mr. So and So did this, yes. did this, and you should, t- I mean, that's. Yes, and that's- then. And then I think the same thing happened. My friend's son was just in the page program. I think a kid was disappeared from that from yeah. that class. I like how you well. say it. What's disappeared? I like that. It's like the Hunger Games or something. He was defenestrated. Um, another thing that's in the background here, Kevin, that we didn't talk about at all, and that isn't in your notes. So I'm sorry if I'm surprising you with this. Bring it on. Climate change is kind of yeah. behind this whole thing too, right? So like this yeah, is also not really a climate address, but I mean I think we kind of understand that, yeah. yeah. But like you always talk. I mean, this is the thing I always talk about. I'm like race is behind everything, but in this thing too, like this is a climate change story. This is like one of those things. Where, like the reason that we have this, California is fucking burning, and that's like in the background of this. And I'm like, this is also an extraordinary documentary because it's like we have the layer of that's children on like a thing incarcerated fighting fires. Shocking. We're talking children. We're not talking about twelve-year-old people. Just okay. 18, 18 19, 19, 20. That's fine. So, the juvenile offenders, but can't buy beer. Yeah, yeah, can't buy beer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but like the fact that California is burning yeah. is just in the background here, like an incidental yeah. detail. It's shocking, right? You're saying the the fires are the MacGuffin. The fires. Are, it's the, the thing that gets all the action going. But we are is, so used to it. Like yeah. that this is a climate change story in many ways, and like Saving Private Ryan is a war story too. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. about a rescue and other things. But yeah, of course. I don't know. I just, I, I just think the things that are like the backgrounds of stories. You like seem this. to be concerned about a lot of stuff except the actual documentary. I kind of wanted to say that it's really well made. Like, yeah. I don't think there's any question that it's well made. They do a good job with the with the character arcs for Chewie and Alex. You get to like both people. There's a bunch of secondary sort of characters that you see again and again that you get a sense of. What I thought was a pretty funny scene where Chewie's talking, he's, you know, it's like two days until he's released or something, and he's hanging out on a picnic table with a couple of his buddies, and he's talking to the camera guys, and he starts talking about, like, what he's thinking about, about getting out. He's like, oh, you got to be smart, you know, if, if you know, my buddies pull up in a car and they've got a gun, like, don't get in the car, and his buddy's like, oh, no, man. Like, I can't go there. Like, they're your buddies. You know, you got to get in. Like, I guess maybe if they have. And then he's, and then Chewie's like, uh, well, you know, I just want to make enough money and, and, you know, get out of Stockton and just go somewhere. And his buddy's like, oh, I don't know if you want to do that. You don't know what's going to be, you, you know, you don't know what's going to be waiting for you when you go there. It's like everything Chewie says is other guys, like, like totally undermining. He was like, I don't know about that, man. I don't think that's going to work. Some people get different things from the program, obviously. Don't get in a car if somebody has a gun. You, you just got to you gotta separate yourself from the bad people and surround yourself around positive people. Nah, nah I just... I got a problem with that. Like, I can't leave everybody behind. It's just like such a typical, like, you know, a couple of 19-year-olds sitting around, you know, gabbing, except this guy's about to have this, like, super profound change in his life, and his buddy is just, like, doesn't have the sense to, like, (laughs) let him go and just, like, kind of enjoy the moment. He's just, like, pushing back. Let me have my moment, man. 
Laura, were you like me? Like, I was so afraid because, you know, I maybe I just watched too many sad documentaries and sad movies. But like the very beginning when they're like, Chewie is said to be released in two weeks. I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we hear him. And then there's like, yeah. and then it's like there's a, there's a scene in the fire. I'm like, oh, my God, they're not going to put Chewie on the bus. They're going to forget Chewie. He's going to die in the fire. <laughs> and then it's like two days until Chewie's release. I'm like, OK, the scene where he's going to die is going to happen because that's like that happens like an every movie, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It's like you think it's going to be a good thing, but you're like, oh, it's never a good thing. It's always a bad thing when they say it's going to be a good thing. So it was definitely set up in such a way that I was just like, uh, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop type thing? The the other shoe that drops, unfortunately, in his case, isn't like, oh, my God, something horrible is going to happen. Like he's like you said, he's going to get hit by a car. Like, I don't know. He's going to get sucked up by a fire. I don't know. The sad thing that happens is then he gets out and he's so earnest and enthusiastic about going to the fire academy and he's telling everyone about it. And they're like, yep, nope, you don't qualify. Yep. And so then he like bounces around between jobs and and you're like, seriously, after all this, like that, that part was frustrating to me. But, you know, I was glad that in the end we do see that he's like he was working as a welder and that was something that he actually first learned to do when he was in this program. But it took him two years to get there. Yeah. And I'm glad he stuck it out, but that was shitty. Yeah. I mean, I also, when you see 12 days, I'm thinking, oh, no, what's up? <laughs> like in a in a movie, that's what it would be. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. go on that one last call. Or when you watch Survivor and like, this is the contestant where they do the life story package on it. Like, oh, he's the one getting voted off. Right. But the tension that we didn't really catch was the disaster is that he actually leaves that he's separated from the program. Yeah, and we don't so really sad. understand that until later. The, the thing's always happy that he's, you know, he served his time and he's going back to the real world. But he was overly optimistic about what he could do about his record, right? He's, oh, yeah, I understand. But I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get my record expunged and I'm going to do this and that. And maybe he can do that. But it was, it was easier said than done. And it was a real surprise that, yeah, you know, like you've, known this all along he, he, you know it wasn't like he got out and realized that wait what but he was overly no. optimistic about what he could do to mitigate that he actually in. did think that he was going to be able to get work he actually did think yeah because he thought he was going to the guys he was working with told him we saw them say like he was going to be able to get work we, we saw those conversations and then when he got out, he found out he couldn't. That's what happened. And like those guys were high fiving him. They're like, oh, he's once in a lifetime. And like he, we saw him think that like, oh, it's going to be just a year or two. That's what I was told. And it's just it's unbelievably sad. And what's unbelievably sad is like it reminds me of, um, you know, you see like like people who come home from serving overseas and like mm-hmm. they're just like they're so accustomed to just like being with their their comrades at war and like that's their family and like they can't. I mean, that's one of the ways that it's difficult to adapt to coming back mm-hmm. like that became his other family. Right. And his other life. And he's addicted to the chainsaw work. It's just incredibly, incredibly sad. By the way, I'm going to send you all the link and I think we should put it in our uh, on the web post for this, Kevin, to this Teen Vogue article. I'm just going to read you a couple of interesting facts from it that I think are very interesting and supplemental that were not in the documentary. Twenty seven percent of the state's firefighters uh, were incarcerated people in 2018 and 2019 in California. Free firefighters make an average of almost forty two dollars an hour. 
The pandemic exposed the government's dependency on prison labor after thousands of inmates were potentially exposed to COVID-19 and were released from prison, limiting the virus spread, which cut the firefighting workforce dramatically and therefore cut, you know, the ability to fight fires dramatically. So people in California saw the prison system for juveniles is being shut down in the state of California, but Pine Grove is staying open. So the young people there are going to be deployed more frequently, not less frequently as a result of the juvenile prison system being shut down because juveniles are not going to be the responsibility of local jurisdictions. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, a really complicated story in some ways and other ways not. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Fireboys? It's a documentary on HBO Max. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this documentary? Um, I'm going to give a thumbs up to this documentary. I think this was really interesting. It's something that I did not realize was going on. It's definitely, for me, like when I hear of somebody that's incarcerated, especially like a juvenile, going off and signing up to be not just a firefighter, but like a wildfire firefighter, which is like, you know, there's a lot of risks constantly in that. It's, it's a very, very tough job. It's like the old days of like the troubled young guy being sent off to like military school or something. But it's well done. We've got a lot of people that this is following that are people that I find very compelling. Um, I did have some moments where this definitely triggered some rage as I was watching this because I'm thinking like, geez, they're, they're compensating these guys like $2 an hour. And there's definite issues with regard to how the state of California is using this program. But, you know, that doesn't mean that this is a bad documentary. It just means that it was like giving you some food for thought as you were watching this documentary. So I thought it was really interesting and um, I would recommend it. Toby Ball. So this is an interesting one for me because it's really well made. You follow two sort of likable, you know, young men who are at different stages of the uh, incarcerated juveniles fighting fires, like one of them's coming in, one of them's about to leave. You you root for them. It has all these things that often make a very good documentary. On the other hand, you're sort of watching these stories take place in a system that is absolutely exploiting them. And that part of the equation, I don't feel is really dealt with very much in this documentary. I mean, you can intuit it at the end, you know, you get a little more information about what the ultimate outcome is, 
of this program, but it seems weird to show like these ostensibly feel good stories within a system that's exploiting these these kids for the efforts that they're making that you're supposed to feel good about. And I think because that part of it is neglected to the extent that it is, it's hard for me to give it a thumbs up because I don't feel as though it's giving, uh, I hate to say the word honest, but at least accurate or full picture account of what is actually going on in the actions during this documentary. So for that reason, despite the fact that in all other ways, I think it's really well done technically and the stories of the kids are good. I think this fact that it just kind of ignores the system in which this is happening uh, makes me give it a thumbs down. And it's, it's a hard one because it's not like the filmmakers are clearly very talented and the stories are interesting, but I think they missed the big story for the small ones. Kevin Flynn. I really disagree with my friend, Toby. You need to get out of the country and uh, recharge your, <laughs> your cynical battery. I thought this was a really great documentary. It's called Fire Boys, not Fire Men. It is their story. And uh, yeah, it takes place in a system that isn't great. They are part of the correction system. There aren't a lot of fantastic choices there. It could look into all these other different issues. It chose to let you know about them, let you see how it affects them. You know, I don't think the intention is it needs to be a deep dive into larger societal problems here, problems with the system, in order for us to say, yes, listener, you should watch this. I'm telling you, yes, you should watch this. You should know that they're only going to make five bucks an hour, or not four bucks an hour, whatever the hell it is. But I think this is a really interesting kind of program. And to see the people really in there doing their best to challenge themselves, challenge nature, and then later on challenge the system to be recognized and to be uh, credited for their work, I think it makes it a, a really compelling watch. This is a hard one for me, too. I actually agree with everything Toby said. I'm going to give it a thumbs up for craft. But my problem, my big problem with it is, is that there's no point of view. And I think a documentary like this should have a point of view instead of just showing us. When I watch this, I see a chain gang of children doing a dangerous job and I see white supremacy in action and I see all of the problems with the criminal justice system and juvenile incarceration on full fucking display in a way that is incredible. We're literally like we set up a program that is um, on its face, supposed to be inspiring and restorative and about growth. And it is literally sending young people into fire like it is unbelievable when you think about it like it really is you can't make it up and i think the documentarians think we're going to show people this and people are going to think it's unbelievable and they're going to see all the bad things they're going to see how it's good in certain ways and little ways but they're going to see all the bad things too the problem is i don't think it's going to land that way for a lot of viewers i think a lot of viewers who don't understand that the juvenile justice system is super fucked up or don't have that context or who don't, quote, see race or racism are going to see this as a fun camp story uh, and a fun pull yourself up by the bootstrap story. And that's not what it is. And that's not what it should be. I think the documentary really should have had 
a stronger point of view, but it was well made. And I did see all of those things uh, because that's where I come from with it. So you saw it. I saw it, but I do think it was missing. But I was also. But how is it missing if you saw it? Because I walked into it with it already there. So that's me. Toby also walked into it already there and he didn't see it and he gave it a thumbs down. I agree with him and I agree with his thumbs down, but I'm giving it a thumbs up because I do think it's a story people should see. I will say, though, if you're going to watch it, please read the Teen Vogue article about it. It gives you all of the other information you should have to watch Fireboy. So thumbs up for me with those caveats that you should also read the Teen Vogue article and know that it's about way more than the filmmakers are telling you that it's about. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a little dog of the week this week, Rebecca. We do. What kind, Lara Bricker? It's a cute little dog. I'm not sure of dog breeds, but um, I will tell you. Um, this comes from our longtime listener, Lillian Seldin. Mm, hello, Lillian. Um, who was once the foster mom for the Crime Writers on Kittens. Remember, we had little Kevin and little Toby and all the little kittens mm, yeah. named yes. after us. Remember how cute they were? Wasn't Toby I, like cross-eyed? Little Toby kitten? <laughs> Sounds about right. That was right. a long time ago. He might have grown out of it. So Lillian is a big cat lady, but now she's got a little dog. So she says, meet Sydney, my dog of the week. She's 12 weeks old and a holy terror. The cats haven't come out of hiding and she hasn't slept a wink. That's Lillian, not the puppy. It has been 30 years since Lillian has had this young of a puppy. Wish her luck. Wow. Sydney. Good luck. Good luck, Lillian and Sydney. Having a puppy is like having a baby, man. They will wake you up a lot. Well, good luck to them. Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, of course, folks can also email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com with their pets or put them on Facebook. But say they want to tweet them to you. How can they find you there? Um, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Bala, folks want to look for you on Twitter to perhaps see some photos of you and your European vacation. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, hey, Kevin, how you doing? How can they find you there? They can say, hey, at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show at Crime Writers On. And please join our amazing community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get four extra podcasts. The Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we practice hiking while carrying rakes and chainsaws. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I forget what the name of our our, um, our subway line was, but they always sort of announce like which direction you're going in is the last station. So you'd get mm-hmm. on one and it was oh. Cockfosters. Cockfosters. <laughs> there you the go. Last station. It's the Cockfosters. Oh my like gosh. kind of place. Yes. <laughs> Let's stop. Leicester Lines Square.
living in crime, crime media. media. Psst. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. 